John chapter 21 in our Bibles this morning. John chapter 21. This is the last chapter in John. We've made it. I told you at the beginning of our study that John penned down these words. He was an older man and all the other apostles were dead. By that time, it was about between 85 and 90 A.D. The theme of the book was that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God. That was the message. And John wanted everybody who read it to know that Jesus Christ is God. And, uh, of course, John began it talking about how God had come into the world. We beheld his glory. And uh, John had never lost sight of that. He had never forgotten it. The key verse is John chapter 20, verse 31, where it says, But these are written, all of this was written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. John wanted people to have what he had. He wanted people to have what God wanted, wants people to have, and that is eternal life, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God. John wanted that, and uh, he was used of the Holy Spirit to record this, of these events, these historic events that took place. You know, when I come to the end of a study of a book like this, a book of the Bible, um, it's always there. There are always unique challenges. You know, what are we going to do next? Where are we going to go next? Um, but John has been such a blessing for me personally. There have been, as I've studied week after week after week in this book, uh, some of the parts of John are easier to preach than others. Some passages, you look at them and read them, and I, and whoa, there's going to be a lot more work that's going to have to go into this. And then after I begin to work and labor in the Word, God begins to open it up and... Uh, Portions of scripture that I had read before but didn't mean anything to me came alive. There were many times where many tears have been shed as I've, of mine have been shed as I preached through this book, especially in my study. Uh, many times has God convicted my heart. At the same time, uh, there have been many other times where God has brought great hope and assurance to my heart through this wonderful book, this gospel according to John. And uh, I think part of me is sad because I don't know when I'll be able to preach it again, you know, to you. Some of you, I'll never be able to preach it again to you. And uh, we've gone through it verse by verse. And so if you've been faithful, if you've been here, you've, you have a really good understanding, a great overview of the gospel according to John. And that's my heart's desire for you, that, that you would not just be inspired when a sermon is preached, not just moved in the moment but that you would grow to know God better, that you would grow personally in your walk with the Lord. So when you're out in the highways and byways of life and you're faced with challenges and hardships and grief and aching and joys, that your understanding of who God is will steady you uh, for the waves of life and the winds of life. Let's look, let's look at the passage, John chapter 21. A couple of my pastor friends who are in their 60s told me, they said, one of them said, Pastor Ferguson, he said, I, I preached on John. I preached a series on John. It took him over 100 sermons to do it. 
this will be the 49th sermon. So um, for some of us, we think, wow, we've been in John forever. And then, but the reality is compared to others, we're just shot right through it in a hurry. So uh, John 21, here we are. Are you ready? Verse 1 says this, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. So pretty much all the fishermen. Verse 3, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go fishing. And they say unto him, we also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. When the morning was come, was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes. And therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, who was that? John, right? That, there, that disciple whom Jesus loved, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. And now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. <laughs> so impulsive, Peter. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were, 200 cubits, it's about 100 yards, dragging the net with the fishes. They couldn't get the fishes net into the boat. They just dragged it behind the boat. Verse 9, as soon then as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. And Jesus saith unto them, bring of the fishes, or bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land. The implication there is he did it alone. Strong man. He drew the net to land full of great fishes. How many? A hundred and fifty and three. John remembers that all these years later. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Verse 12, Jesus saith unto them, Come, come and dine. None of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. They all knew who he was. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Simon or Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, or son of John, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, yea Lord, thou, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. And he saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved. The idea there is he was grieved in the depths of his heart, hurting, aching, because he said, because Jesus said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, Thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest thou whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, 
another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, Jesus, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, saith unto Peter, follow me. Then Peter turning about, notice not following, but turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, following, which also leaned on his breast, at Jesus' breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? And Peter, seeing him, seeing John, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? And Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. And then went this saying abroad among the brethren that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die, but if, will, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? And this is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, which they, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. And John ends it with, Amen, which means may it be so. I want to ask you a question this morning, and that is this. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love him? How do you love him? To what degree do you love him? How dependable is your love for for him? What does your love for him look like? Because Jesus in our text is going to describe for us what the love of a disciple for Jesus Christ looks like. Let's pray together. Father, glorify yourself now in our hearts. Draw us to you. Draw out our love for you. Lord, I believe I'm speaking to a number of people, a great number of people who love you. Lord, I confess for us all that our love for you is not perfect. It is very undependable at times. It is very shallow at times. Father, we know that you love us, and that your love is completely dependable and rich and full. Father, help us to grow in our love for you. Father, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I have a question. Why, why does John end the book with chapter 21? Why not just finish up with chapter 20? Now, I'm not questioning what the Holy Spirit had in mind. I'm not questioning that. But, but it, I am asking it for us to consider it. Why is 20, chapter 21 here? Why not just end... But chapter 20, why not, why not just end with Jesus Christ raised from the dead? Why do we end with Peter? Here we are with Peter again. And his love is shallow. He's not even sure of his own love for the Lord. Why do we end with Peter? Why not conclude with the resurrection, the glory of Christ? You know, throughout this whole book, it's really been an incredible account of Jesus' life. And we've been repeatedly brought to marvel at God's glory, at Christ's glory as God, Jesus as God. From, from the very beginning all the way to the end, we were presented with God in human flesh. At the beginning in John chapter 1, you remember John penned these words. He said in the Word, capital W, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I mean, from beginning to end, we saw the power of Jesus in his miracles, right? Taking cripples and making them walk again, just by his words. We, we, we marveled and we were awed and amazed by the power of Jesus' miracles when he would take someone who's blind, who was blind from his birth, and he would cause him to see again. I mean, only God can do these things. And we saw the power of Jesus in his miracles, causing feeding the thousands of people with uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. It's an impossibility. But Jesus was God. He raised dead people and he made them alive again. And we were awed by Jesus' teaching, right? Teachings like in John 4, where he said, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And in John 6, he had said unto them, I am the bread of life, and he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. In John 11, in verse 25, Jesus had said, To Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And he asked Martha a question, Believest thou this? We were amazed by Jesus' marvelous love and his compassion, weren't we? Like in John 4, when he said to his disciples, We must needs go through Samaria. Remember the woman at the well? He told his disciples, lift up your eyes under the harvest, for it's white already to harvest. We were stunned by Jesus' control and power in his crucifixion and in his burial and in his resurrection. He, giving up the ghost, giving up his spirit, willfully dying for the sins of the whole world. In control, when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus perfumed his body and wrapped his body and prepared a tomb, he was in control of all of that in control of the resurrection, literally raising himself from the dead. We've been awestruck by who Jesus is. Why can't we just end our study with the risen Christ? Why do we need to conclude our study with Peter? And there's a twofold answer to that question. One is that the gospel doesn't end with Jesus and his earthly ministry that he has entrusted the gospel in his own person, by his own spirit, into us. The Bible calls that, he calls us earthen vessels. Colossians chapter 1, Paul referred to this as a mystery that had been hid from ages, which was Christ in you, the hope of glory. I think it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 6, where he talks about this, he says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, hath shined in our hearts and to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's talking about this majesty of Christ, this glory that is Christ. We've, we've read of this. We've studied it. We've pondered it. We've been in awe of it. And then Paul says this, But we have this treasure, the treasure of Christ, who is eternal life. We have this treasure, he says, in earthen vessels. An earthen vessel. A moldable, breakable, run-of-the-mill, 
clay pot. That's this. That's you. That's Peter. And so we have all of this glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that we've studied and all that we've been in awe of. We, he has, and this has happened too in my study, he's brought me this book. These writings have brought me to worship the Lord. It's drawn it out of me to worship the Lord. He is God. Um, and he lives in me. He is awesome. I am not awesome. He is always true. I am not always true. He is always good. I am not. You get the idea. I will not continue to bore you with that contrast. But it's true for every single one of us. And so why doesn't, why do we need to conclude our study with Peter? Well, because the gospel doesn't end with Jesus and his earthly ministry. He ascended and he gave us his spirit. Christ lives in us and the glorious Christ lives in us. And we need to carry we need to carry the glory of the risen Christ in us, but sometimes clay pots fail. And so the other part of that, the other answer to that question, why don't we just conclude our study with Peter, is number one, because the glorious gospel doesn't end with Christ. It is in us. But there's another answer, and that is this. Here we have, an un, we have a ashamed, broken man. He's a disciple, but he needed to be restored. And all of us need to know what restoring a sinful, broken-hearted, discouraged disciple looks like. And we should seek to restore our fellow disciples. By the way, if you're married and your spouse is a believer, they are a disciple, you ought to seek to restore them. We ought to seek to restore our children, you see. In Mark chapter 1, it records for us that Jesus had called these men, these disciples of his, there are only 11 at this time. Remember, Judas has already taken his life. Never a true follower of Christ, a fake. So you've got 11, but they're not all here. There's only seven here, just the fishermen. But Jesus, in Mark chapter 1, had called these men to leave fishing for fish and to become to follow him, and he would make them what? Fishers of men. And they had come. Jesus had said unto them, come, after, come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And let's pick up the narrative in our text in verse number one. Look there. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. And there were, were together Simon Peter, and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go fishing. Why did Peter want to go back fishing? I go fishing. Uh, this is, what's he just want to break? You know, it's been a stressful month and a half. You know, maybe he just wants to go cast the rod a few times and relax a little bit. But that's not the inference from this phrase. This was a resolute decision on Peter's part. I am going back to fishing. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. I can't do this anymore. There's a finality, especially in the Greek language, 
And why would he do this? I mean, he's seen the Lord, right? Christ has revealed himself to him. He's risen from the dead. Christ can do anything. He's the master over death. Nothing can defeat him. And you're one of his followers. Why would you give up on him? Well, I don't think Peter was giving up on the Lord. I think Peter was giving up on Peter. I'm not worthy. I have failed him. Every time it gets hard, I fail him. He has no confidence in himself to serve the Lord. Now remember, Peter had boasted before that he would never leave Christ. But he had. And Peter was full of self-doubt. He's full of shame. He had to come to the conclusion, he's come to this conclusion that he couldn't follow Jesus Christ and he couldn't successfully carry out God's will. Have you ever felt like that? My doubt is not in the Lord. It's me. It's me. It's my fear. It's my anxiety. It's my doubting. It's my unbelief. It's my lust of the flesh. And so Peter says resolutely, I'm going fishing. He gets a boat and he says to all, and, and the other disciples, notice them, six of them follow him. So Peter is a leader. He was older, it seems, than most of the disciples. But all the other disciples follow him. They say unto him, in verse 3, the middle part, we also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that, that night they caught nothing. And they were doing this. And Christ had told them to go up into a mountain and wait for them. Wait for him. They weren't where they were supposed to be. But they were doing what they thought they could do. Look at verse number four. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. That's very important. They didn't know who this was. Verse five. Then Jesus said unto them, children, have ye any meat? Now, who would call these uh, a men of uh, uh, a boat full of men who are fishing children? Nobody else. Only the Lord would do that. And by the way, who would ask them? And Jesus knew the answer to his question. Men, have you caught anything? When he knew they hadn't. (laughs) Men like to be asked that. You know, if you're married to a hunter or a fisherman and they come home, you don't have to ask them, right? Because you can see it on their face. No, they didn't catch anything. No. You could probably tell if he missed it. Or if he, or he, he winged it, you know, or he lost, you don't have to ask that you can see it on his face. Well, Jesus has the gall to ask them, children, have you caught anything? He knows the answer. And the answer is recorded for us that they give at least only one thing is recorded that they said. I think they might have said other things too, but they, they say no. Again, I do think they said other things. Because they didn't know it was Jesus. Verse number six. And he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship. Because we all know that fish always go to the right side of the boat. I mean, these are fishermen. These are, this is not me. I'm not a fisherman. I don't know where fish go. I don't know why there's seaweed in the water that always gets on my hook. I don't know why I can't catch fish. There's a lot of things I don't know about fishing. But these were Seasoned fishermen, they were good at what they did. They'd been out all night and caught nothing. And the Lord made it that way on purpose. 
And now he says, cast it on the other side and you shall find. And it must be of the authority of his voice because they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes. And Jesus, what's he doing here? He's reminding his disciples that they had been called to fish for men. You used to fish for fish, but I called you to follow me, and you came, and I have taught you to fish for men. And that even though they thought they could go back to what they used to be able to do, they really couldn't without God's blessing. Unless God brought the fish to their nets. Sometimes we're tempted to go back, aren't we? Sometimes we can get so discouraged and there is a difference between being discouraged with God and, un, and not believing him and his word and, and being disappointed and discouraged with me, with myself. Sometimes we're tempted to go back. Sometimes we're tempted to give up. Sometimes we're tempted not to follow our Savior anymore. And, and, and maybe it'd be this, Lord, you know what? I... I gave it a whirl. I gave it a shot. I, three years, three and a half years, I, I gave you everything. But Lord, you, the problem isn't with you. You are amazing. You are incredible. You are awesome. You are God. But Lord, I am not. And I fail you. I failed you so many times. And Lord, I think you'd be better off finding another group of apostles. I think you'd be better off finding somebody else for this. Thank you for saving me. I'm looking forward to heaven. I will, I, I will continue to do my best, but Lord, I, I promise you nothing. I can't do it anymore. I think that's where they were at. Look at verse number seven. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, and that's John, he says to Peter, he says, it is the Lord. And now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. Now, wait a minute. They've got a whole net full of fish. John says, it's the Lord. Peter throws something on and dives into the water. He's about a hundred yards swim away from the Lord. And he leaves the other six with a whole net full of fish. Quite an impulsive man, Peter. Verse 8. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, as it were, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there. When was the last time we were aware of a fire of coals? Can anybody remember the last time in Scripture we had a fire of coals? Can you remember? It would be the night of Jesus' illegal trial. Remember, they were warming themselves by fire. Peter was there. He had followed afar off, but he was there, and it was there. What happened? He denied the Lord Three times, vehemently, repeatedly, three different times. And he swore. I don't think these coals were on accident. And fish laid thereon and bread. It's the morning. The Lord Jesus Christ made breakfast. Fish and bread. And how does the Lord make breakfast? Perfectly and maybe breakfast. There you have it. Fish and bread. Perfect. 
And Jesus saith unto them, Bring up the fishes which ye have now caught. He already had his. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to, to, to land full of great fishes, and 150 and three, 153 of the fish or fish were in the net. And for all that were so many, yet was not the net broken. Peter's a strong guy. He drags these fish in to land. Verse 12, Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. They all knew that. Verse 13, Jesus then cometh and taketh bread, and giveth them, and fish likewise. He fed, he fed them all. Verse 14, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. But what does, what does the love, the true love of a disciple look like? Jesus is going to describe this to us. First of all, a disciple of Jesus Christ loves Christ enough to deny self. A disciple of Jesus Christ loves Christ enough to say no to self. Look at verse number 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest or agapao thou me more than these? Agapao is the Greek word for lovest here. Agapao thou me more than these, and he saith unto him, Peter answers, he says, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo thee. Different words. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs, or bosco my lambs, pasture them, fodder them, graze them. Jesus, you know, always called Peter by his old name when Peter was acting like his old self, by the way. He does that here, Simon Peter Simon, son of Jonas, son of John, Simon, son of John. And what, what, what is Jesus asking here? Well, the question he's asking is for a disobedient believer. And by the way, it's a question that we as parents ought to ask our children. It's a, it's a question that we ought to ask ourselves when we're not walking with the Lord. And the question is this, do you love me? Do you love the Lord more than you love your sin? Do you love the Lord more than you love what you're doing? Do you love Jesus more than your sin? And Jesus wasn't talking about the other disciples when he says, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He's not talking about his disciples, the other disciples, because they had done the very same thing Peter had done. They had gone fishing too. And again, it was, was not a frivolous, this wasn't a vacation, let's go fishing before Jesus comes, then Jesus surprised us. No, these guys, with Peter at the helm, decided, you know what? We're going back to the fishing business. We don't know what's going on, we're going back to the fishing business. We can't count on ourselves, we're going back into the fishing business. But they were all as guilty as Peter was. They, they'd all gone back to fishing. So no, he wasn't asking, Peter, do you love me more than the other disciples? He was saying, do you love me more than these boats? Do you love me more than these anchors? Do you love me more than you do these nets? Do you love me more than your lifestyle? The life you believe you've created for yourself. In Mark 8 and verse 34, Jesus said this, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. Jesus uses this word agapao for lovest, where he says, 
Peter, son, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Agapao, do you agapao me? And agapao is the highest, noblest love of the will. It's that sacrificial love that Jesus, the God so loved the world, he agapaoed the world. It's that kind of love. And Jesus asked, Peter, do you agapao me? Do you love me sacrificially? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than anything in this world? In Matthew 10 and verse 37, Jesus had taught, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. And so do we love the lives we have created more than we love the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, Peter was heartbroken. It says in verse 15 there, look at the middle part. He answers and he says, he saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo thee. You know that I phileo you. But Peter, in his answer, changes a word. He didn't say, I agapao you. He says, I phileo you. And the word agapao is that highest, noblest love of the will. That's how God loves us, how Christ loved his disciples, and he loves you and me to this day. Phileo is a warm affection. Phileo, we get our, our, the English word Philadelphia. Philadelphia, phileo, the city of brotherly shove, love, right? Out, out east, they call it that, the city of brotherly shove. But a warm affection. So pa- Peter's basically answering the Lord, and he's basically saying, you know, Lord, that I like you a lot. I like you a lot. You know that. I do. I love you. You know. And why did Peter say that? Well, because Peter's love for the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't obvious. He had just denied him. He denied him. Everybody knew that. He didn't love Christ more than he loved himself. That was obvious. Peter couldn't say, yes, Lord, I love you sacrificially. He couldn't say that because he didn't. And more than that, I don't think Peter was even very confident in his love for the Lord. I don't think he understood it himself. I think he was all confused. Three, three and a half years, I I love him, but I, I haven't shown it. He's heartbroken. He's ashamed. He's been humiliated. He's humiliated himself. We've all done this. In John 15, in verse 13, Jesus had said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. A man would love his friend more than he would love his own life. That There's no greater love than that. And Jesus did that. He had loved all of us more than he loved himself. But Peter hadn't loved him that way. You know, Jesus' love for Peter was obvious, but Peter's love for Jesus was questionable at best. Peter had been exposed. He was guilty. He, he was broken. He was ashamed. He, he's humiliated. And Peter couldn't say, I agapao you at the highest and noblest level. I, I couldn't say that. Everybody knew that, that he hadn't. And so Peter says, Lord, you, you know, you know that I like you a lot. And Peter would hear he's doubting his own love for the Lord. He's doubting the dependability of his love for the Lord. He's doubting the the quantity, how much he loves the Lord. He's he's doubting the quality of his love for the Lord. I mean, he just wasn't so sure about his own love for the Lord. 
And so Peter calls on Jesus' omniscience. And you see it in the passage in all three questions. Peter says, and in the last verse, he repeats it twice. He says, thou knowest. You know. And there's almost admission there that, Lord, I'm not even sure I know. But I know you know. You know how much I love you. You know how I love you and how I don't. You know, Jesus knew Peter's, Peter did love him, even when Peter wasn't sure he did. This is so reassuring to me. And it ought to reassure, reassure every one of our hearts this morning, because there are times where we have not loved him as we should. Most often, that is the case. And yet our Lord still knows our love for him, what it is. He knows that it well, well, it may not be what he is worthy of, it is still genuine. It is still real. So this is a wonderful blessing that our Lord knows that we love him even when our love isn't obvious. And Peter's saying, I don't always love you as I ought to love you, but I know my love for you is real. Lord, you know. And Jesus, what is he doing here? He's restoring Peter. This is amazing. The Lord says to him, look at the end of verse number 15. He says, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Bosco which means pasture or fodder or graze, my lambs, my. It's a personal pronoun. Uh, They're mine. They belong to me is what Jesus is saying. And he's entrusting the flock to Peter because Peter's worthy of that. No, Peter doesn't think he's worthy of anything at this point. But the Lord knows who he is. And the Lord knows how he loves him. He says, I want you to pasture, to graze my lambs. They're mine, Peter. Jesus was ordaining Peter to the pastoral ministry. Peter, you're accepted. And I want you to take wonderful care of what belongs to me. Really? After all the ridiculous things that Peter has done? Peter, swearing, denying the Lord three different times, vehemently, repeatedly, Correcting the Lord, telling Jesus that he's wrong. Those are all the qualifications for a good pastor. They're all a reality in our lives. After all the ridiculous things Peter has done and Jesus is saying they're mine, I've purchased them and I'm turning them over to you. And I'm turning them over to you, a person with far less than perfect love for the Lord. You have love that is much lower in quality than the love that the Lord receives from all those who are around his throne in heaven. But I'm going to entrust them into your care. I'm reminded of John 17 when Jesus was going to go to the cross. He prayed to his father. And what did he do? He asked, he entrusted his sheep or his lambs to his father's care while he was going to die for us all. Okay, that makes sense. Jesus entrusting us to the father's care. Certainly it makes sense that we would be entrusted to Jesus' care. But this is all part of his plan. He's entrusting the church, which is about to be birthed, to Peter's care. And he says, feed my lambs, my little ones, my young Tender, weak, vulnerable, prone to wander, prone to stray ones. I'm putting you in 
I'm putting them in your hands, Peter. Look at verse number 16. And he said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, agapao, thou me. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo thee. He saith unto him, Feed, or poimeno, shepherd my sheep. Look at verse number 17. A third time this question is asked to Peter. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, phileo thou me. Now Jesus changes his word. He, he degrades the level of love down to what Peter has been claiming that he does love the Lord. Phileo do you even phileo me, Peter? And the Bible says Peter was grieved, a pain in the heart, deep, aching pain in the heart. It says he was grieved because he said unto him the third time, phileo thou me. Do you even phileo me? Peter didn't know. I don't know. I don't know. I thought I agapaoed you. I thought I loved you at the highest level. I told you in front of everybody else that if they took you, they arrested you and they killed you, I would be in prison with you and, and killed with you. I told everybody that. I told everybody I would agapao you, and I did. At least I thought I did. Lord, I think I phileo you, but I don't even know that. That's what's going on in Peter's life. And he says it. Let's look at verse number uh, 17, the middle part. And he said unto him, Peter says unto the Lord, Lord, thou knowest all things. You know. He's appealing to the omniscience of Christ. You know. I don't know. You know. Thou knowest that I phileo you. And Jesus saith unto him, Feed Bosco my sheep. Do you really even have a strong affection for the Lord? Why this grieved Peter so much? It says it. He grieved. What was Jesus doing? He was probing into Peter's heart. This was a spiritual biopsy. The Lord was doing what no one else can do. He was cutting open Peter's soul. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit into the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I don't think Peter knew which end was up. I'm a miserable failure. I think that was his conclusion. He is a great savior, but I am a failure. He can be trusted, but I cannot. It would be better for you if I just went back to fishing. Find someone else. The middle part of verse number 17 says that Peter was grieved because Christ questioned even Peter's claim to phileo him. And Peter calls on his omniscience. But I want you to know this before we move on. Jesus doesn't ask you and me for perfect love like his. But he does ask that our love for him be real. Is your love for the Lord real? Do you love him? Because a disciple of Christ loves Christ enough to deny self. And that's what Peter or Jesus was asking Peter. He's saying, do you love me? You've gone back to your nets. You've gone back to your boat. You've gone back to the weights. You've gone back to the fish. You've gone back to the lake. 
Sea of Galilee, okay, do you love me enough to deny yourself and follow me? I notice also a disciple of Jesus Christ loves Christ enough to sacrifice for him. Now, it's going to go quickly from here, so hold on. A disciple of Jesus Christ loves Christ enough to sacrifice for him. Look at verse 18. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, that statement shows up 25 times in the book of John. And it has the idea of something very important is about to be said. And Jesus says to Peter, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. You did whatever you wanted to do. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands. They're not going to be stretched out for you. You're going to stretch out your own hands. And another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about something that's going to happen to Peter in the future. What is it? What's he talking about? Look at verse 19. It tells us, This spake Jesus, signifying by what death Peter should glorify God. In Luke 9, in verse 23, Jesus had said, If any man will come after me, if you're going to be a follower of the Lord, you're going to have to, he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And Jesus is telling Peter here, in the future, Peter, you're going to be taken prisoner. You're going to be bound and hauled off to a place where you don't want to go. But you are going to stretch out your own hands. You're going to be crucified. You're going to die by crucifixion. Now, we read this and we think, well, wow, that's a lot to take in. Now, tradition tells us that when it came time to that, for this to happen, Peter didn't want to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord was. And so he said, would you crucify me upside down? And they did. Tradition tells us that. He didn't feel worthy to be crucified as his Lord was. So the Lord is restoring Peter to the ministry. And he says to him here, Peter, welcome back to the ministry. You're restored. I do know that you love me. I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to pastor. You're restored. Go feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. And know this, Peter, that sometime in the future, they're going to come. They're going to arrest you. And they're going to take you. And they're, going to, they're going to crucify you. But you're going to actually lay your hands out and let them do it to you. Now, you might stop me and say, well, Seth, that's terrible news. Why would Jesus do this? This man's struggling. This man's doubting. He's, he doesn't have any confidence at all. Uh, why would the Lord do this? This is terrible news. And I would say the opposite of that is true. I think this was some of the best news that Peter had ever heard in his life. For a man who had failed the Lord and walked away from him, who had denied him repeatedly, for the Lord Jesus Christ to look him in his eyes and tell him, Peter, the next time you are in a life and death situation, and my name is brought up, you are not going to deny me again. I think this relieved all kinds of doubt and, and, and renewed confidence in Peter like he had never had before. Because the Lord Jesus Christ had spoken the truth. So, no, Peter needed to know that he was not going to deny his Lord. In Luke 22 and verse 33, Peter told Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. But when that happened the first time, Peter denied him. 
when it would happen again, Peter would not deny him. He would glorify the Lord. And they would actually crucify Peter for this reason, because Peter was faithful. He was willing to sacrifice everything. Uh, A disciple of Jesus Christ loves Christ enough to deny self and to sacrifice, and then very quickly, enough to follow his plan. The disciple of Jesus Christ loves the Lord enough. And that's what we've been brought to. That's what that's what happened in my heart throughout the study. My love for the Lord has grown. And now here we are in chapter 21. A disciple of Jesus loves him enough, loves him enough, that he's willing to follow God's plan for his life. This is important. Look at verse number 19, the latter part. It's a very simple statement. Verse 19, the latter part. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. That was Jesus' statement to Peter. Follow me, Peter. That's what you need to do. You follow me. In Matthew 16 and verse 24, when Jesus said unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and what? Follow me. This is a part of discipleship. It's simple, right? None of us struggle with it. We all struggle with it. We all struggle to follow him. This flesh keeps pulling the other way. But this is the mark of a true disciple, that we love the Lord so much that we follow him. And it's interesting in the text, it seems to be more pointed than that, that we're not just willing to follow him in general, but we're willing to follow him very specifically for the course of, the plan that he has for each one of us. Now, Jesus, I think he's encouraging Peter's heart. He's giving this clear instruction of what Peter needs to do. And in my mind's eye, Jesus turns and begins to walk away. And he says, he's giving the instruction, Peter, follow me. And immediately, look what Peter does. He turns around. The Lord is very long-suffering with us. He was long-suffering with Peter. He's long-suffering with us. Look at verse number 20. Let's see here. Yes, verse number 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following. So John was following a little ways off, which also leaned on Jesus' breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Verse 21. Peter seeth him. He saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? So the Lord has just told Peter, Peter, you're going to be crucified. Peter, you're not going to deny me. You're going to love me. Next time this happens, you're not going to run away because you're going to be found faithful. And that must have brought great joy and great comfort and great great confidence to Peter. And the Lord says, Peter, follow me. And Peter turns around. He looks at John and he says to the Lord, well, what about him? So I'm going to get crucified, but, but what's going to happen to him? I mean, this is humorous. And isn't that true for us, too? No, none of our lives are exactly the same course. The destination for all those who believe upon Christ is the same. We all started at the same point to a degree in being born into this world, a sinner needing salvation, needing forgiveness. But the courses of our lives are all different. We don't all live to the same age. We don't all face the same temptations, the same intensity of temptations. We don't all enjoy the same marriages. We don't all enjoy the same children. Some of us lose children. Some of us lose spouses. 
Some of us face cancer. Believers live in different parts of the world with different kinds of freedoms and liberties to worship the Lord. Right? We don't all have the same course. We don't all have the same path. It's not all equal. And Peter says, well, okay, I I know what's going to happen to me, but what about him? And look at how the Lord answers him in the passage, verse 22. And Jesus saith unto him, Peter, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Now there's almost sarcasm here. Hyperbole is in this. Jesus basically says, Peter, if I will that John would live to the second coming, which would mean that John is still alive to this day, what does that matter to you? It's none of your business. That's what the Lord says to Peter. Paul talked about this to a degree with Timothy. He said, take heed to thyself. Well, Lord, but, but, but my, my, my life is so hard. I face all of these things. These other pastors don't face what I face. These other people don't face what I face. These other husbands and fathers don't face what I face. Lord, the way you made me, I'm not even made the way other people are made. I worry when those people don't, or I'm anxious when they're not anxious, or I'm always analyzing, Lord, and Lord, what about him? Why does he have it so easy? And the Lord says, that's none of your business. Take heed to yourself. Consider your own way. And then he ends by saying, follow thou me, which is very emphatic. And I'm, I'm going to try not to point it at anybody. I'll point it at an, an empty chair. Basically, he says, you follow me. I missed you, Jeff. Right? You follow me. We're like Peter. We struggle to deny ourselves. The thought of sacrifice is fearful to us. And following him and what his plan is for our life is sometimes hard to do. But these are the marks of a disciple who loves the Lord. I hope you know this. God does not expect perfection out of you. But he expects to perfect you. It's called sanctification. And he's doing it. Little by little. And boy, aren't we a disappointment sometimes. But he's doing it. He's moving. He's he's transforming us into the image of Christ, the image of his son. And someday it will be completed. And we will never more face temptation in this world. And I look forward to that day. But until then, we must love our Savior. And the question to every sin and every doubt in your life and mine is this. Do you love the Lord? Do you love him? Because if you do, you will deny self. You will find that you will make sacrifices. And you will follow his plan for your life. Verse 24, verse 23 says, Then went this saying abroad among the brethren. So there's all the kinds of gossip here. That the disciple, that that disciple, John, should not die. Well, they gossip. They always seem to get it wrong. Yet Jesus, John corrects this, says, Jesus said not unto him, he shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come. What is that to thee? That's what Jesus said. John 
he protects the integrity of Jesus. Because if Jesus couldn't get this right, then he really couldn't get anything right. John had died. By the way, when John wrote this, he's the only one living. All the other apostles are dead. So rumors were flying around. Verse 24, this is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Do you love the Lord? Maybe we're like Peter, and we are. I do. He knows I do. He knows I love him. I don't always love him agapo, agapao, or agape. I don't, I don't love him that way. Phileo. He might ask you, do you even love me that way? Let's love him. Let's love him. Let's follow him. Let's deny self. What has self ever brought us? But destruction. Let's sacrifice for him. He is our Lord. There are rewards in heaven for all of eternity. Sacrifice for him. You know, the wonderful glory of Jesus Christ was demonstrated to us throughout this entire book, all the way to the cross and to the, rec- to the resurrection. And John wrote, these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ. That you'll believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing ye might have life through his name. Today, we're reminded of the difficulty of putting that glory of Christ into earthen vessels. Us. It's not easy. It's not simple. But all the Lord asks of us is this. Do you love me? And he will accept love that is less than perfect. He will accept it. But he will not accept love that is less than real. Do you love him? Look at verse 25 and we're done. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose, John writes, that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. And he ends it with, may it be so, amen. May it be so. And I'll conclude with this. Jesus is God. Love him. Let's love him. Dearly Father, I thank you so much for this study. My heart is sad that it has come to an end, and yet we have so much more of your word to study and to learn of you, to worship you. Father, I have given everything that I have in the study of this and preaching of it. Father, I pray that you will use it in the hearts of your people. Father, we worship you. You came. You dwelt among us. You lived, revealed yourself to us. You died for us. You rose again. And you have entrusted into our care yourself. Our inheritance, Christ in us, the fullness of God. I don't understand all of those things. But we love you because you first loved us. Father, help us to learn to love you more. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.